0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, oh, I promise you're in the right place. I always say that because it's true. The buzz today, show me the money now. What is she talking about? We're talking about banks today. Banks are grappling with formidable challenges. I'm going to start out with a dual challenge. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Then I'm going to introduce another dual challenge. So here's the first one. Customers expect and demand relevant products and great services, influenced by what they're already experiencing online on shopping sites like Amazon and Alibaba. They want personalized experience. They want it to be easy. They want it to be geared to what they need. That's one. The other part of that, the challenge, is that there is digital disruption by what we'll call fintech, F-I-N-T-E-C-H, newcomers who are giving the banking industry, I'll call it, a forced makeover that the industry may not be ready for. So that's one challenge. Here's another one. According to the preliminary results of a study by IDC on predicting the banking future, What's difficult to predict is the role of banks in customers' lives and their life events 10 years from now. So there's a divide. Some customers want what I said, basic, easy-to-use banking products. And then there are other customers who want high-touch, bespoke experiences. And the banking industry isn't quite sure where to put their efforts and their energy, what business model works, what models of behavior work. There might be solutions to customer needs the banks haven't even thought of today, but the answer to all of that could be digital transformation. So we're going to do a reality check today on what is the current digital maturity of banks around the world. We're going to be talking about, but not entirely, these preliminary findings from a global study by IDC, and I know we're going to have a lively conversation. So let me tell you who my panelists are before I start to introduce them. First up is Jerry Silva. He's a research director for IDC Financial Insights Global Banking Research Practice, focusing on tech transformation and banking worldwide. Jerry will be joined on the panel by Lawrence Layden, L-E-Y-D-E-N, General Manager for Financial Services in EMEA at SAP. And rounding out our panel of experts today is Rob Hetherington, Global Head of Financial Services Industry Unit for SAP. And our topic officially is Digital Banking power to the consumer very very powerful topic so jerry silva has sent me a quote from arthur c clark whose full name is shri lanka Bin Maya, sir arthur charles clark and he has letters c b e f r a s after his name he was a british science fiction writer science writer and futurist inventor undersea explorer and a tv series host and you may not know his full name but i bet you know the movie 2000 2000- 2001 a space odyssey he was the co-writer of the screenplay here is the quote jerry silva has selected from arthur c Clarke: quote any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic amen preaching to the choir jerry silva welcome how are you jerry
2: good morning Bonnie. thanks for having me i'm doing well
1: Delighted. Good. Love the quarter. Let's start out with are you. a Big fan of Arthur C. Clarke. Did you? Uh, you have how many? How many times have you seen *The Space Odyssey*? Go ahead.
2: Oh, lots and lots. I was a little disappointed with 2010, the the supposed sequel, but I love the I love the original. And I've been reading science fiction for a long time, so Arthur C. Clarke is one of my favorites.
1: Now tell me, do you agree any sufficiently advanced technology? And are we talking about digital here, digital transformation in its, in its sophisticated form? Are we talking just the very, very basics versus magic? Why don't you tell us how this relates to our topic, Jerry?
2: You know, I, the reason I love this quote is it actually has to do with what's, what's been happening in banking. Um, I started in banking back where I used to actually crawl, physically crawl under the raised flooring of data centers with a rope tied around my uh, waist just in case I got lost, to be able to reroute cables. Anyone who's ever worked in a data center environment knows how many cables there are, how complex the connections are, Um, and all of the systems that it takes and all of the interconnections it takes to make life simple for the customer. So to your earlier point about customers want simplicity, they want fast, they want convenient, it takes a lot of technology in the background. To make that work, which is why I thought this was a perfect quote, because it is sufficiently advanced technology to make it look very, very simple when you when you put your uh, debit card into the ATM. You have no idea all of the stuff that's happening in the background. And ironically, maybe what we're talking about here is trying to simplify all of that stuff that happens in the background and, and still deliver a convenient and probably better uh, experience for the customer.
1: Thank you. And Jerry, a sidebar here. I was a mainframe programmer analyst back in the late seventies working on a big system in Eugene, Oregon. And I remember the big data center where I was working. And I remember the, they had, uh, uh they were magnet, magnetic and it was like a big handle, like, like a, a dumbbell with two bars. And in order to lift up the tiles to look at the cables, the operators yeah. had to remember that. Well, I was, I was the woman in the high heels and the skirt with the slit up the side <laughs> trying to figure out how to Turn spaghetti code in a statewide statewide community college education system. <laughs> hey, what was I programming then? That was an IBM 4341, and I was doing PL1 at the time. Before that, I was programming on a Xerox Sigma-6 CP5 for a community college, and we didn't have quite the sophisticated data center there, but I remember those days. It was That's very exactly hard to walk on those tiles in high heels, Jerry, I can promise you. Well, that. I used to Jerry, be under
2: them, and maybe, in, <laughs> and maybe in 20 years we'll be talking about another of, of Asimov's um, Oh, I'm sorry, or Asimov, actually, in terms of the three yes. laws of robotics. So maybe when robotics come to banking, we'll be talking about Asimov.
1: Maybe. We certainly will. And, and if we do a part two of this topic, you're certainly welcome to bring an, an Asimov quote. And by the way, my question for you before I invite our other panelists to speak is what is the current digital maturity of banks globally? Any quick comment on that before I, I go to Lawrence Layden?
2: Sure, So based on the preliminary results, it's better than what I thought it might be. Uh, a mm. lot more banks are in what we call the second and third stage of digital maturi- maturity out of five. There are a couple of banks up at the elite areas of, of uh, change where they've actually made changes to the organization. They've made changes to how they do things as opposed to just the technology that they're running. Uh, but most are well on their way. So um, you know, banking always moves at a glacial pace. Uh, mm-hmm. This will happen. It's just taking a little to get there.
1: A glacial, I like that, a glacial pace. (laughs) I never never thought of it quite in those picture terms. I see a movie in your future, Jerry Silva. You're on the glacier and it's just inching, melting slowly. I don't know how fast it's melting. Thank you, Jerry. Pleasure to meet you. And we'll be talking more with you. And let's bring on Lawrence Layden, General Manager for Financial Services in EMEA at SAP. Lawrence has brought us a quote from Stephen Wright. Now, Stephen Wright was born in 1955, and he is now considered... The 23rd Greatest Comedian by Comedy Central in a list of the 100 Greatest Stand-Up Comics. He actually wrote a a live-action short film in 19, 1988 for The Appointments of Dennis Jennings. I know nothing about that. His comic influences were... George Carlin and director Woody Allen and his comedy film, I Have a Pony, was nominated for Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album. Those of you scratching your head saying, why would anybody quote Stephen Wright? Well, Stephen Wright, full name Stephen Alexander Wright, has a distinctively lethargic voice and a slow, deadpan delivery. His jokes are ironic, philosophical, sometimes nonsensical, non sequitur, anti-humor, and one-liners. They're paraproscadokians, and they're contrived. That's all I'm going to say. And here's the here's the quote that Lawrence Layden has picked from the lore of Stephen Wright, and I wonder where Stephen is today. Stephen, are you listening? We're talking about you. Here it goes. I saw a bank that said 24 hour banking, but I don't have that much time. Lawrence, how did I do?
3: <laughs> <laughs> you, you did great, and, uh, and I can't copy the, uh, the patter either, so... Uh... Thanks for not, the introduction, not with, Bonnie.
1: Not with that accent. Thank you and welcome. I love the quote. Talk to me. Obviously, it has to do with banking, but are you a fan of Stephen Wright? And how did you pick this one? Because I know there's a message in here. Go ahead, Lawrence.
3: Yeah. yeah. But I, I have been a fan of his for a while. Um, his favorite one, actually, was, uh, was a different one, actually, but I couldn't use that. It was last night I stayed up late playing poker with tarot cards. I got a full house, but four people died. But unfortunately, that can't be used today. So, uh, um, but, but I am a big fan of his humor. Um, no, the, the, the reason I like this quite so much is it sort of sums up to me sometimes the disconnect between uh, what banks think customers want and what they say and actually what customers uh, feel like they need from their banks. You know, it uh, it says what it uh, does on the tin there, but actually it's not really what customers want. They promote 24-hour access to these uh, various services, but what customers really want, I think, is 24-hour customer intimacy. Uh, you know, we just don't wait for anything anymore, you know, everything from burgers to clothes to cars. I even understand you can do drive-through weddings now in, uh, in certain parts, <sighs> certain states, etc. cetera. So, uh, you know, people just don't like to wait for things um, and want them really at their fingertips. Uh, but if you look at a lot of banking services, they're still making us wait. You know, they're using paper too much. They're sending us contracts. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're asking us to wait in line. You know, and I think that the key thing for me is they, in many cases, don't understand, actually, that they're not the main process in, in what we need them for. You know, you buy a car, you don't get a loan. You know, you buy a house, you don't get a mortgage, really. You save for a holiday, you don't get a deposit account. And I think more and more people are understanding that type of relationship is a is an adjunct to, to the actual uh, need of the customer. It's not the main process in itself. Whereas I think in the past it has been. You know, you saw a house, then the next thing you did was you went to sort your mortgage, out, and that was a main thing. Now it should be it should be really much more easy to be part of that process. So you know, it just it just goes along with the house buying purchase. Um, we want it. We want it now. And the bank really should, should know me, that's what customers feel now, and take me off the market early. You know, I shouldn't need to go somewhere else. And if I do need to go somewhere else, the chances of me coming back to you are becoming less and less. So that's the problem they have, I think, is that intimacy with the customer now. They need to, make, to meet those needs up front when the customer wants it, where they want it, in the way they want it. Otherwise, potentially, they could go somewhere else.
1: Very interesting. Do you think that they are just being stubborn and, as Jerry Silva said a moment ago, moving at a, at a glacial pace, they're just kind of crawling along and trying to, they may know what digital is, but do they really want to know what customers are thinking and what we need, Lawrence? Are they, are they ignoring it or are they just not capable of it? Where is the pushback here?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great question. I think it's, it's, it's actually a combination of a number of things. I think they are becoming more aware of what customers want. And also, on top of that, if you like, we, we almost, I think, view this in a, in a perfect storm type of environment now. So, you know, they know they need to do this, but some of their systems are very old. They also have a lot of risk practices. I think after the financial crisis, there's even more scrutiny on them. Um, and I think the competition and the technology has caught up with some of the other players. You know, we see more people coming in and doing payment services. We see more interaction, like I said, at the customers, so you don't have to visit so much the branch, etc. now. So, again, Mm -hmm. there's lots of these uh, different things coming in to attack the banks in in many of these different ways, and it's difficult for them to react in a way that protects the customer's money still but updates their systems and, and also brings that mindset and the change about how they interact rather than the old traditional way they've done in the past. So it's not easy for them, but I think it's essential that they have to take that on board.
1: Thank you. Very well put. Thank you, Lawrence, and appreciate your joining us. And now let's bring on our third panelist. He is Rob Hetherington, Global Head of Financial Services Industry Unit for SAP. And Rob has quoted another high-profile public figure. It's Mario Andretti. I don't know if anybody knows Mario's middle name is Gabrielle, interestingly enough, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-E. He's an Italian-American former race driver, one of the most successful Americans in the history of the sport. Just a little back background. Andretti is one of only two drivers to win races in Formula One, IndyCar, World Sports Car Championship, and NASCAR. The other one was Dan Gurney. He also won races in midget cars and sprint cars. No American has won a Formula One race since Andretti's victory at the 1978 Dutch Grand Prix. I don't know if, if uh, Rob knew all this when he picked it. In American popular culture, Mario Andretti's name has become synonymous with speed, similar to Sterling Moss in the UK and Barney Old in the early 20th century. Here, And by the way, he had 109 career wins on major circuits. I'm going to just stop reading all the accolades. Here's the quote Rob has selected for our banking topic today from Mario Andretti. Quote, if everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. Rob Hetherington, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you, Rob?
4: Yeah, I'm great, buddy. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for joining us. Love the quote. Now, tell me, are you a, a Mario Andretti fan? Or are you a Sterling Moss fan? Where do you sit on the on the race car driver fanship?
4: Well, I have to confess that probably my all time hero was another driver called James Hunt. So uh, the reason that Mario Andretti appealed to me, he was a, a he was a boyhood hero, a, a boyhood hero of mine. He happened to drive a Formula One race car that was uh, sponsored by the company my father worked for. So I got a chance to meet the great man back in the mid-70s. And as you say, I think I'm right in saying he is still the only U.S. race car driver that has ever won the Formula One championship. So um, hence Mario and hence the quote.
1: Very nice. So relate the quote to our topic today, Banks. We've been talking about digital transformation, their awareness, their systems, lack of intimacy with the customer, lack of understanding their purpose in our life events. So what's your POV, and what would Andreni say if, if he knew you were quoting him in a banking show?
4: Yeah, well, that is a good question. I have no idea what he would say. But <laughs> I think just to build on the theme, uh, I'm afraid I'd echo uh, what Jerry said about banks moving at uh, glacial speed, uh, and what Lawrence said in terms of customers wanting instantaneous service. Uh, and I think that is the challenge I've thrown. a third one, Bonnie, which is you reference FinTech, so-called yes. financial technology companies. Uh, FinTech's new entrants are, uh, are here. They're present. Uh, they're now a major factor in the banking landscape, uh, and they are attacking banks in some of their most vulnerable places. So they're going after traditionally high margin areas, such as the payment space, and making major inroads. So one way or the other, uh, banks are being threatened, banks are under attack, and it is questionable as to whether banks are moving fast enough to embrace these digital challenges.
1: Do you think think, banks think they are? What's your sense of awareness? I asked this question of Jerry. I don't think I posed it specifically to Lawrence. But what is the current digital maturity of banks globally as far as picking up the pace, making things easier, that magic, that transparency, that we don't want to know what's going on, the gears behind the ATM. We just want to know... Well, we don't want 20s anymore here in the U.S. I want 10s once in a while, or I might want a 50. I want it different. I want a choice of the bills it dispenses. So what's the state of of digital maturity of the banks you observe, Rob? Yeah, I think it it differs
4: depending on the institution and on the markets. I I think pretty much every bank I uh, meet and have met recently One way or the other are on a journey. They are, to use another racing term, they're they're going through the gears uh, and they are trying to embrace digital uh, and digital technology as fast as they can. Uh, I think the most um, innovative banks are looking at ways in which they can collaborate with some of these new entrants, these fintechs. Uh, and leverage the, the offerings and, indeed, the core technology that these, these fintechs, etc are providing. So that's, that's one response. I think that banks are somewhat schizophrenic about this. I've heard very, very polar views. Some bankers describe digital as an existential threat to their business, and others believe it's the greatest opportunity uh, that uh, will present itself for many years. And I think, again, this reflects different positioning in different markets by these banks. But overall, I I have to say I'm I'm an optimist for the banking industry at large. I think traditional incumbent banks have major advantages that they can make use of. Just to quote two, uh, first of all, banks have customers. It's obvious, but they actually have a customer franchise. Many of these new entrants and competitors do not, and that is a, a major plus point, as far as the banks are concerned. And then secondly, banks are trusted with customer data, I think to a far greater extent than many technology companies we could name are. So I think there are things that that banks can leverage. They've also invested lots of money in their infrastructure, uh, if you like, in some of the plumbing that is required to be a successful financial institution. These are things which stand them in good stead in the the new digital banking world of the future. So uh, the game is not over by any stretch existing players in this industry.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. I like the words collaboration you used, and very interesting point. Banks have customers, and new fintechs by and large don't. Good points here on the table and adding to the challenges that I mentioned in my opening. Now, Jerry, Lawrence, and Rob, I'm going to give you all a chance to tell us a little bit about you personally, each of you, and this segment is called What's in Your Cup Today, so I'd like to know first, where are you calling from? Jerry, we'll start with you. And what are you drinking right now during the show, or... What are you planning to drink to celebrate later Jerry Silva
2: well I think I think those two are connected for me I'm calling in from Boston so here it's Dunkin Donuts or nothing this is after all what America <laughs> runs on <laughs> so I've, I've got a large Dunkin Donuts coffee with milk and two sugars um, and it and it's interesting talking about um, in connection in connection with banking this is my style of banking I want to I want it easy to remember. I don't want to have to walk into a Starbucks and try to figure out what venti means versus... I mean, to me, I'm Latin, so grande to me means large. Uh, but it's actually their medium, I guess. So I don't want to have to figure out what all of that stuff on the menu means. I want it very, very simple. I want it very, very plain. And it's good
1: good. I'm glad it's good. Any flavor to that donut? What's your favorite? We'd like to know a little more, Jerry. Oh,
2: donut. I try to stay away from the donut.
1: <laughs> uh, once just in a while. The coffee. Just the coffee. Okay, that's fine. I thought maybe just you were going to share a favorite. I used to like the jelly donuts with powdered sugar. I don't know. That just yes. It just reeks of old-fashioned kids getting messy and the jelly dripping out. It just Oh, just, absolutely. It's yeah, just as a did I fun about 20 pounds exp- ago. <laughs> Oh, I passed that long time before you did. Thank you. No more high heels walking on the floor of data centers anymore. No, can't do that. It's more sensible. Shoot, well, not quite. Anyway, Lawrence Layden. But I digress. Lawrence, where are you calling from today, and what are you drinking now, or what are you planning to drink later?
3: So, uh, Bonnie, I'm calling from London, and I guess because I'm calling from London, um, I've gone for a bit of a different one today. Um, I've gone for a Brexit coffee. (laughs)
1: oh let me stop laughing first hold on (laughs) thank you i'm done okay go
3: ahead so first i guess it's it's a little hot to handle at the moment and i'm not quite sure what it's going to taste like whether it's going to be delicious or whether uh, it's going to be terrible so uh, i'll tell you after the show next time we speak
1: now i really want to know that was very charming actually that's a new one for us but i really want to know what are you drinking you've got to have something either in your cup or later you're going to have something that refreshes so what will it be lawrence
3: So um, part of the jelly donut problem as well is I need to lose a few pounds, so I'll probably be juicing later, and uh, I don't know. uh, I'm on the wheatgrass now, so uh, that's one that I'm going to be trying a bit later, a new one for me.
1: Wheatgrass. Very interesting. Okay. Sounds uh, healthy. Not sure how it sounds tasty, but we've had such an interesting assortment of drinks quoted on the show that I I don't know if I'm afraid to ask or even imagine it. Thank you very much, Lawrence. Whatever it is, enjoy. And Rob Hetherington, where are you today and what are you drinking? Okay. Rob Call back, okay? Call back. We'll get your coffee after the break. So I'm just going to give us all a pause that refreshes. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game Radio. Very happy to be here talking about digital banking. Power to the Consumer. We already have a powerful conversation, good sense of humor, smart panelists. We have Jerry Silva at IDC, Lawrence Layden at SAP, and Rob Hetherington, who will hopefully call back and rejoin us with his drink. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Our topic, again, digital banking, power to the consumer. Wherever you are, this will mean something to you, I promise. Lots of good information. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We can't wait to hear what Rob is drinking. Justin out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP, co innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, changing the game, brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here.
4: Voice America Business Network.
0: You're listening to Digital Industries, changing the game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to digital industries changing the game.
1: Indeed, and here we are. Yes, yes, yes. We are talking about digital banking, power to the consumer. And I think that covers everybody on this call and everybody in our listening audience, or maybe almost. I don't know how many unbanked, unserved, underserved there are in the banking world. We might touch on that later. We're speaking today with Jerry Silva at IDC, Lawrence Layden at SAP, and Rob Hetherington at SAP. Rob, I want to give you a chance before we dive into our roundtable. I know you're in Germany. What are you drinking today or what are you you planning to drink later, Rob?
4: Yeah, apologies for losing the detection, Bonnie. So as you say, nope. I'm in Germany. I'm in Bonn, uh, which is the former capital of West Germany before the wall came down. Um, and I'm not drinking anything at the moment, but I'm looking forward to the signs of the bulls there, followed by a fine German re So like Lawrence, I'm not juicing, eating strange variations of wheat or anything similar.
1: <laughs> okay thank you we got that uh, Rob you know what we're still having a little trouble on your line I'm going to ask you if you can to email me your direct number in Germany if you want and I will convey it to Justin and he might be able to call you so let's try a little longer and see how you, if your line holds up if not we will, we will call you back from the station fair enough okay fair enough Fair enough. So far, you're good. Okay, Jerry Silva at IDC has agreed to start the roundtable formally, and Jerry sent me the following information in his notes before the show. Very interesting. He says, globally, digital transformation is still predominantly a front office phenomenon focused on customer experience. The danger is that banks will build digital analogs of the same complex infrastructures that hinder them today. And Jerry, I'll let you elaborate, and please tell us if there's any good news in here.
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, It's uh, it's been the heritage in banking to build all of these complex systems as the need came up over the last four or five decades. So, you know, at first there was branch banking only, and then we started building contact centers, and then uh, ATMs around, and then online banking, mobile banking, online, you know, on and on. And with each iteration of technology, they just completely created a brand new system to, to support it. And then there were subsystems to handle things like uh, marketing needs and regulatory compliance. So, as I mentioned, over the years, it got to be very, very complex. And that was the, quote, sufficiently advanced technology that kind of showed up as magic in the front office uh, to the customer. So, what what a lot of banks have started doing is they've taken this digital transformation moniker and have applied it to more such projects, although they're now digital. They're not focused on mobile banking or mobile payments. And my fear was that they were going to start building the same kind of siloed mm-hmm. systems they always had without the benefit of creating any kind of enterprise leverage or enterprise capabilities, uh, which would be a bad thing uh, at the same th- And it's for good reason. I mean, the the front office lines of business had to build these systems to make the customers happy because we lost them all after the economic crisis. At the same time, the back office, the CIO, the technology groups are building regulatory compliance systems and risk management systems because they had to do that for the same reason because of the economic crisis. Um, So what's happening today is that those two groups are kind of recognizing the need to to get together, uh, which is the good they are I- increasingly recognizing the need to leverage the enterprise with the front office. I-, I liken it to the building of the English Channel Tunnel, where you had teams on the English side burrowing their way toward France, French teams on the other side burrowing their way to England, and hoping that they would meet in the middle someplace. And that's exactly what's happening today: mm-hmm. is that both sides are starting to build toward each other. Um, and hopefully, by the time they're done, they'll actually meet in the middle and create, you know, a very easy way of, of uh, handling the, the customer and handling compliance at the same time with the same enterprise-wide systems.
1: Thank you, Jerry. Good introduction to our roundtable here. Uh, Lawrence Layden, please chime in. What do you think about what Jerry just said? Agree, disagree, point of view?
3: No, I totally agree. And I'm, I am I thought it was great about the channel tunnel. I hope we still keep it open going forward. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> That will be uh, that would be super um, no, I think he 's absolutely right. I mean I think when you talk about digital, um, many people immediately go to the front, and you know if you think about what you have to do uh, with, with a customer from a bank 's perspective, you know it should flow seamlessly all the way mm-hmm. through, so you know if you 're making decisions about lending somebody. uh, lending something to somebody, then really there's got to be a risk decision. There's back office processes get involved in this, and that's quite often where the break is now. So if you just concentrate in that digitization in the front office, you get the disconnect when you come through to the back office processes. And I believe what the customers really want is all of that information being in the hands of the person they're speaking to to make instant decisions. So you really need to join up the front, the middle, and the back and then you basically put the decision-making in, in the uh, lap of the customer. So if the customer is happy going through all the way through to a process and executing online, they should be able to do that. At any mm-hmm. point in time, though, if they want to break, they should be either then be able to talk to someone or maybe go on video chat or maybe go on uh, email or something. And, and any part of that process, someone just should be able to pick that up from the uh, banking organization and then respond to the customer. If you don't have that front-to-back digitization across the whole process, then you get some breakpoint, which is, again, what's frustrating for the customer. And also, from the bank's perspective, you have the potential then to lose that customer. They just get bored or they, you know, they, they don't get what they need at that particular moment in time, and they drop off. So Again, it has an advantage from, from both angles.
1: Thank you very much. Rob Hetherington, I'd love to get your POV on this, please.
4: Well, I would uh, echo uh, what Lawrence said, and uh, indeed what Terry said at the outset. And uh, you know, for me, what we're talking about is, is the difference between, if you like, digital banking, which tends to be something that is synonymous with digitising the customer experience, and what, it, and on the other hand, a digital bank, which is this end-to-end digitised set of processes, as Lawrence has said, front, middle, and back offices. And indeed, that is what is required. If you're going to offer truly digitized customer experience, and if you're really going to satisfy customers' requirements and needs, uh, it's as important for customers to be able to uh, make transactions in real time and see the outcomes in real time as it is to access a a funky mobile app. And to do that, you need... uh, a set of digitized capabilities, or through the uh, through the process trade. So uh, <clears throat> again, as Jerry said at the outside, uh, this is actually incredibly difficult for uh, for incumbent banks. Those have been around that have been around for for years to do. They have very complex technology architectures which have grown up over time. Right. Um, so, oh, it is a major challenge. I don't think there's a bank in the world, Bonnie, that, that doesn't know uh, what its point of arrival is, where what it what it means, whether it's a truly uh, end-to-end digitized experience. Every bank, to a greater or lesser extent, is challenged with actually the journey together uh, and to what makes sense, the extent of these the complex the
1: Thank you, Rob. I think you're dropping out on us again. We got most of it, though. Thank you very much for your, your input on that. Jerry, I'm going to let you wrap up this part of our conversation before I move to a topic from Lawrence's list. So, Jerry, thoughts on what Lawrence and Rob have added?
2: No, that's, that's, all, that's all great stuff, and it's all uh, very accurate. It, it involves not just the technology. It involves the processes as well. And, and there, are, there are benefits to leveraging the entire enterprise. Um, Lawrence brought up some good points. Um, I would add things like uh, credit risk management. Um, and, and here's a little anecdote. PayPal introduced small business lending uh, in the U.S. two years ago, I think, a year and a half ago. And the reason they were able to do this, um, as a disruptive factor to banking, so now small businesses can go to PayPal to get lending, to get loans, uh, because PayPal had all of the information on how merchants were being paid and how often and what their cash flow situation was like. So they had all this great data that they were able to uh, leverage into a lending product. Well, banks have the same exact information. They've got all of the deposits on record, and they should have been able to use that to determine, uh, you know, or to create better risk management practices, and offer lending based on um, risk-adjusted pricing for small businesses, uh, and that would have been a total win. So it has to do with leveraging the enterprise, whether it's data, whether it's processes, and, and most importantly, I think, is the organization as well. You know, one of the reasons I mentioned that banks move at a glacial pace has a lot to do with the organization. Uh, it, it's not just mm-hmm. the technology; it's it's everything from the bank. So yeah, absolutely with uh Lawrence and Rob and I would add in that it's you know it's more than just the technology it's everything else around it as well
1: Thank you, Jerry. Great observations. I think we have Rob back. Uh, Rob, we're uh, moving on to a topic from Lawrence Layden's list. Lawrence, you made a couple of very profound statements here. I'm just going to read a couple of what I'll call headlines, and I'll let you just weave them together, Lawrence. You say, banks still think that banking is about banking. Well, that's number one. If that's not provocative, I don't know what is. Number two, you say, banking is no longer a main process, but an accompaniment to a customer need. And number three, you say, banks are in danger of not being relevant to to the customer, Lawrence, you want to weave these together for me, please?
3: Yeah, I think um, you know if you, if, you, if you go back three, four hundred years, you know the, the the process of banking, when you really look at it in, in detail, hasn't hasn't changed too much. You know, I know some people will say, yeah, we've had technology now, and they deal with lots of uh, lots of complex processes, and their range of products has increased, if you like, but but many of the internal processes haven't changed too much. Uh, and I think this is a, this is a real game-changer now for, for the industry. You know, uh, these competing forces that I mentioned before and the, the impact of, of what's happened in other industries, I think, is, is starting to, to, to come and hit them now. So you know, when I say banking, uh, you know, they think it's, it's just about banking. They're very internally focused on occasion. So you know, they're, they're worried about how they, uh, they, they look to their customers. They're looking at their processes, their cost-income ratios, All of those sorts of elements, and I think, you know, actually we need to get outside the boundaries of the bank now. So, you know, really, uh, as a a banker, it's not just about customer coming to me and me servicing their needs. For the first time probably ever, I've got to go and get them because they're not coming to my branch. They're probably not coming to my Internet site as often. They may be using my mobile app, but I actually need now to, to get them rather than them come to me naturally. So, again, this is the first time that sort of customer power, if you like, and, and the uh, the face-to-face has been disappearing quite fast. Other industries have been used to this for years, and it, but it's quite a new concept of financial services. So you need to sort of turn yourself around. You need to be much more um, able to go and get those customers to engage with them, to give them interesting things, you know, maybe things like gamification around the savings product, et cetera, making sure you're integrated into that buying a circle of your uh, customers, you know, to be able to meet those needs rather than just offer the stock finance products because I think people expect that interaction into that uh, and that uh, engagement now. You know, another thing I think we're seeing as well is the advice. So, you know, it's no longer, uh, it's no longer just acceptable to uh, do the transactions for somebody's money, but banks are becoming more responsible for how they advise um, with those transactions as well. So making sure the customers don't overstretch themselves, making sure the customers you know, are, are actually understanding the types of products they're buying. So that duty of care now is much more laden onto the banks than it has ever been in the past. And that's when you can start building that intimacy, that's when you can start building the, the relationship with them rather than just executing their payment transactions, for example, and I think that's what uh, needs to happen. The blurring of industry boundaries is going to help with this as well so that, you know, you you, you need to get much more engaged in, in those lifestyle purchases. And, and that's what's going to drive the change going forward for banks.
1: Thank you very much, Lawrence. I have a question for you before we ask Rob and Jerry to chime in on, on uh, what you just said. Lawrence, when we talk about fintech, are there any names we would rec- we would recognize? Are we talking about, for example, brokerages that now have storefronts where you can go deposit checks and and uh, get different kinds of banking services that weren 't that way before that provide checkbooks uh, How can we define Fintech so that the audience really knows what we're talking about? Yes, yeah, so
3: I think they, they come in many shapes and sizes uh, and also different processes as well, so you know you'll You'll see people that may be able to collect uh, groups of people together, so funding circle, those types of organisation. You'll see um, people like Mondo that, that, that put a, an app on top of an existing bank account, so you can uh, transact in uh, in those ways. Um, you know, there, there's other companies that do things that are, you know, an adjunct as well. So, for example, things like um, you know the uh, the security. So there's one. Uh, capability now, for example, where you could give someone the password to your to your iPhone or your uh, your smartphone, um, mm-hmm. and actually typing it in, the the phone because of the angle and the type, the speed of type, for example, this uh, these solutions can work out really whether it's you that's doing it. So even if you've got the access codes, it can say that actually I haven't got a high confidence that it's you because you're not using it in the same way that potentially mm-hmm. the, the user that we know their profile is using it. So there's very, very clever ways of doing this, and that can be, like I said, from a banking process or a technology process, you know, or even taking a, a payment function or something like that. Those, those really are where the fintechs are coming in, and they're, they're, they're the people I think that banks either have to collaborate with or they have to develop something to, to take these guys on. You know, as Rob mentioned, they have scale, they have that security, they have the, you know, the understanding of the customers of what they're doing now, but again, other organisations are coming along where they're providing things that the customers more used to, you know, in today's modern world being able to engage in. So much more sort of user-friendly type of front ends, for example. And it's how those two merge together. I think that will be the interesting thing going forward.
1: Thank you very much, Rob Hetherington. I know you're back with us, Rob. Thoughts on what Lawrence just shared? Please, love to have your input.
4: No, again, I would endorse what Lawrence says. Maybe just a slight variation, though, Bonnie, I mm-hmm. do think that um, that uh, you know, banks have choices in terms of where and how they position themselves, just as they have done in the, in the physical world. They have similar choices in the digital world. So the only thing I'd caution is, is for banks to assume that they have to excel at many different aspects and many different, um, if you like, uh, points of the value chain. I think I can see banks evolving in different directions. I, I think I can see some banks deciding that they will excel at certain focused products and product areas uh, and provide those products to a wide array of distributors. That's a very valid positioning. Some banks undoubtedly will will uh, decide and basically to position themselves as customer. Uh, experience providers par excellence. Um, other banks may decide that actually their technology platforms uh, are so advanced that they can rent those to third parties, other banks, potentially non banks. I think Jerry referenced that. So there are many different ways that banks can uh, and I think will succeed in this digital world. It, it, it isn't a one size fits all, uh, and there different, are uh, different positionings which will be successful for different institutions.
1: Very good input. Thank you, Rob. Good advice to our, our those in the banking industry who are listening. Jerry Silva at IDC, love to have your thoughts on this and any nuggets you can pull for us from the preliminary report we started talking about?
2: Well, it, it, I kind of bristle when I hear talk about um, digital and everyone starts talking about mobile applications and fintechs and and maybe it's the fact that I'm a cynical 30-year banker here. I'm not sure what it is, but one of the best quotes I heard of why banks, incumbent banks have the advantage over these smaller companies. Um, and It was put in the form of a rhetorical question. You know what banks have that these fintechs don't have is bankers. Bankers understand finances. Bankers understand lending products. Bankers understand the regulatory requirements. Uh, know your customer and anti money laundering. Um, so, bankers is really the, the best asset we have. We, as an industry, have these fintechs are definitely dis- disrupting the way banks do business with the, the customer. You know that fr- again, that front end, that experience. Um, none of none of the fintechs really concern me in terms of disrupting the industry. The one that I'm keeping my eye on right now is a, a fintech company out of Berlin called Solaris Bank, and they're essentially a uh, They are a fintech little startup um, that created a back office, a banking back office. So they actually take care of compliance requirements and and data management and and, uh, the general ledger and everything else that a bank would normally do. But they don't want to contact the customers directly. They open their systems up to other fintechs with open APIs, and they let the smaller Fintechs handle whether they want to develop a lending product, whether they want to have some sort of savings account that uh, customers want to join in on. so Solaris Bank to me really represents that disruptive, that truly disruptive fintech. Um, again, what they don't have is the bankers, and mm-hmm. I think one of the issues with you know focusing on the front office uh, and not focusing on the back is you know everything we're saying about more convenient, simpler. Uh, on-the-go, fit-my-lifestyle kind of banking, uh, there's certainly that demography, but there's also the demography that wants advice, you know, face-to-face advice. I've talked to small business merchants who say they love going to the branch with a sack full of cash because mm-hmm. they want to talk to the teller or they want to talk to the rep who they've yeah. known for 10 years while they've been in business. Uh, even the millennials, we do a survey every year, 40% of the millennials we surveyed last year wanted to open an account, prefer to open an account at a branch. So let's, you know, I just want to make sure we're not downplaying the role of the physical channels as well. I think the key here is how do you connect them all together so that if I call the contact center one night with a complaint, I don't have to re-explain myself the next day at the branch.
1: Very interesting. That's the social side, isn't it? Uh, so many people say that digital and everything internet isolates us, Jerry, that it separates us. We don't have an opportunity to talk to real people. And that's the opportunity, isn't it, to talk to a real person Absolutely. who hope, hope, hopefully will greet you, right? Be nice Absolutely, because
2: everyone, everyone is unique, right? If you have a problem, it's never happened to anybody else, and you want to make sure that you're talking to a live human being so that they know that this is a unique situation. Uh, or if you're opening an account, you know, some people just have the need to shake someone's hand at the end of the closing and say, you know, thank you very much and make sure everything is going off right. So I think there is that need for, for physical contact. That's I think that's one of the reasons that direct banks, the ones that operate online only, have never really taken off the way we thought they would. You know, it's, it's file that under the cashless society, it hasn't happened either.
1: Very interesting. I'm going to tell you a, a sidebar here. It has nothing to do with banking, but a friend of mine recently asked me how often I get a manicure. And I said, every Saturday, it's it's part of my routine, my let's take care of me after a difficult or a very challenging week of work. She said, oh, why don't you get the gel, the gel polish? It costs more, but you only have to go once every two weeks. And I looked at her and said, but I don't want to go every two weeks. I want to go. I want to sit there. I want to be pampered. I want a human being to know I matter. I want somebody to talk to me. I want somebody to interact with me. I want the massage of my hands. I want the little neck massage. I want the contact. So I think that's uh, that's a long way of saying that's what you're saying that people still want no, absolutely,
2: absolutely. And this is not just a US phenomenon I, I used to work at a bank in South America and because customers would actually call each other up and say I'll meet you at the bank in half an hour and mm-hmm. you know they understood the queue was going to be a half hour long so they at least got to chat up and catch up with each other while they're waiting to make a deposit or a payment obviously the English love queuing and so that mm-hmm. really represents a benefit to them as well there is a need for, for that social contact I think worldwide
1: very much, thank you. Thank you for indulging my comment there. I think it's very, very important. Uh, Rob Hetherington, I'm ready to go to. We're almost ready for our predictions, round. And Rob, I want to make sure we touch on some of the notes you sent me. I'm looking at your. I think it's your third topic here. You say banks also need to consider digital transformation at the branch level, reinventing the branch to include. And here we go. A nice segue from what Jerry just brought up. The right mix of technology and personnel will encourage customers to come to the bank at a time when more transactions. Are conducted online. So, Rob, why don't we get your, your two cents or your or your thousand dollar deposit on this one? What do you see in your travels and with your customers and your work in the industry? How many branch is how many branches get this?
4: Yeah, I, I, actually, I think most banks understand that they need to use their branch networks in different ways uh, than perhaps they've historically done. And, and to Jerry's point, it doesn't mean a complete removal of people and people interaction in these branches. But it, it, it tends to mean a combination of a few almost consularies um, uh, in bank branches directing customers to, uh, to a, a, an array of devices through which they can access the expertise that they need, uh, the most common of which very often is is a straight teleconference capability through to, uh, whatever, a lending center, a, a mortgage advice center, an investment center. The customers still have direct face-to-face contact. The technology is good enough to allow them to do that. Um, they are interacting with real people, but they're interacting with real people who have expertise. It's not something that uh, often is, is in enough supply in bank branches so actually, they're getting better advice, better quality uh, advice than they've done historically. Uh, they are com- they're connecting with people. They're getting responses from people, but they're leveraging technology to do that. And I think that is, that is the way that banks are increasingly thinking about how they digitize their branches. It's not to remove people altogether. It's to basically help customers to get greater access to true experts at point of need. That's what I'm seeing.
1: And, and Rob, let me extend that a little bit before we, uh, we just, just have to go one minute to, uh, Jerry for predictions. Jerry, you can get ready now if you will. Uh, Rob, does this take extra training in this day and age where a customer might say, yeah, I did this online yesterday. Why is it taking you so long? Or, hey, I need this advice that I can't get in an online app. Uh, is there special training that's required and, Do we need to rethink the people who are in the branch so they understand this duality of we need seamless digital transformation, we need seamless back end, easy processes, but we also need people who understand the need for human connection as well as to speak in plain English. When excuse me on that one, plain English as far as or whatever language the customer is speaking, so that they can communicate. What's your thought on new workforce for banks in the branches?
4: Yeah, I think I think most banks would accept that they do need to reskill uh, their branch employees. Um, but it's reskill for the most part. It, it's not replace and, and and bring in completely fresh people. Somebody who's good at customer service is good at customer service. If you can help them to uh, adapt and use technology advantageously, I, I think they'll be just as effective in this digital world as they are in the physical world. Um, so that would be my take on that one, Bonnie.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And I could hear a collective sigh from the audience saying, oh, we get to keep our jobs. Thank you very much, Rob. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Jerry Silva, I could give you exactly one minute. That's 60 seconds, no matter where you're banking and how you count it. 60 seconds. Look into the crystal ball at IDC with all your good research behind you and in front of you. And Jerry, tell me what will change significantly about this topic, let's say by the year 2020 or sometime after that that you select. Go ahead, Jerry Silva. Silva.
2: So so you remember what I said about glacial pace, right? I can't <laughs> I'll never kidding. forget
1: it. It's seared in my memory. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you know, a lot of this I I'm going to be I'm going to be the absolute truth-sayer here because again, I'm i I'm a reformed banker, so I can tell you that a lot of this a lot of the pace is governed by the speed at which the organization changes um specifically around things like compensation. So if you're compensating the branch manager based on one set of metrics and you're compensating the contact center manager based on a separate set of of metrics, Uh, there's not going to be leverage between those two. So what what I I like about the uh, survey we just did is a lot more institutions are going toward uh, enterprise change at the executive level. Fantastic. Uh, The CEO is leading the charge. The CIOs are leading the charge. The board is even getting involved. Uh, And I think that spells out a lot of hope for making changes that will let you leverage things like branch transformation, which is a very important uh, initiative today. So I'm seeing a lot of good things happening by then. I think you're going to see a lot more examples of branch transformation, a lot more examples of mobile, uh, just better services and products overall.
1: I think that's all we're really asking for. Thank you very much for the optimistic note, Jerry Silva. Lawrence Layden, I can give you exactly one minute for your predictions. How far in the future can you see? Go ahead, Lawrence.
3: So uh, I don't think I'll even take a minute, actually. I think uh, I'd like to say banking maybe not just banks, you know, real value, not just transaction processing and know me, don't ask me. But I do fear in 2015, it'll be similar to to where we are now because of that pace of change. Um, And I think some of it's understandable, like I said, because of the regulation and and the complexity. Um, But we will get there. You know, the market has a, a habit of changing the way organized do things when customers really make their mind up. So I think the more customers make their mind up to change the banks, the quicker it will happen. But uh, I think it's going to take you know a little bit longer than, than perhaps we would like, uh, but it will change.
1: Thank you very much. A little longer than we would like. Well, that's what keeps us humming, right? That's what keeps us talking about what we're hoping will happen. Appreciate that, Lawrence. Rob Hetherington, I've got one minute for you as well. Share your predictions, please.
4: So I guess, uh, you know, I think in whatever, five or six years' time, we probably won't be talking about digital transformation, uh, the winners will have, have won. They'll be through the journey, by and large, um, and that will be clear. I think, the, I think we'll see a pretty um, uh, heterogeneous environment. We'll see more variety in terms of the players in the market that we do now, but I fully expect uh, the most significant and most successful incumbent banks that you see on the high street Today, I fully expect them to be successful in the future as well. I think all of this is good news for us customers. I think we get more choice. I think we get uh, more competitive products. And I think, to Lawrence's point, uh, we we get something which is much more tuned to our needs than we've historically got for banks. So I I see customers winning big time in this, this new, exciting world.
1: Thank you, Rob. I have a bonus question, a yes or no answer from each of you. That's all we have time for. In terms of branch personnel in banks around the world, or at least in the biggest company countries where banks have a prominent place, let's say on High Street and and Wall Street and anywhere in Manhattan – What will the, will the bank personnel who are interfacing with customers still have to wear suits? Uh, Men wear ties, women wear dresses or nice business suits, or will we see a uh, a declassing of the clothes? Will they show up in jeans and chinos and flowered shirts at some point? Yes or no? Will we stay with formal clothes for banking, banking uh, personnel? Jerry Silva, yes or no by 2020.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what the question was, but God, I hope not, Gene.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what the question was. Will they still have to dress up for, to go to work? <laughs> yes. So your answer is yes. yes. Okay, Lawrence Layden, I see you in a, all three of you in wonderful suits. Lawrence, will they dress casually or will they be in still nice clothes?
3: Uh, I think they'll be in uh, casual clothes, uh, nice ones.
1: Okay, Rob Hetherington.
3: I'm going to sit on the fence and say it depends. On the okay.
4: Market,
1: okay. Depends on the back. Depends <laughs> on the back. Good point. Thank you very much. I still like seeing them dressed in nice clothes. I'm sorry. It's just that way. I want to do a shout out to everybody behind the scenes at SAP who helped put this show together and especially to our three panelists, Jerry Silva at IDC. Say hello to all of our friends at IDC, Lawrence Layden and Rob Hetherington in UK and Germany or vice versa. Thank you for calling in. And I think Rakesh Shetty was involved in this and Carolyn Wheatley was involved in this and and uh, Petra Benning was involved in this. Shout out to Justin and the business channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air i'm bonnie d graham i'll be back tomorrow morning wednesday the 6th of july with coffee break with game changers live talking about social selling and the law do you really know what you're doing when you unleash the power of your employees to sell online whoops let's make sure we protect you so here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today have a good one bye bye
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.